Hi everyone and welcome to Philosophy Rekindled with our focus book, the 1920 published version of Tertium Organum by P.D. Spensky. Today we are discussing chapter 18. This is part 2. You will find the audio version of this chapter as an additional audio to this podcast and you'll also find additional information on our website philosophyrekindled.com. Today my guest is Peter Lancet, hypnotherapist, author and classic scholar. And I'm Alice Flanagan, fiction author, computer programmer and podcaster. Thanks so much for joining us and welcome Pete. So Pete, Chapter 18, we are really powering through. How's your week been? It's been okay, you know, I mean, a funeral and another death overseas that we can't go to the funeral of because of this nonsense and stupidity. But um, I'm starting to get the feeling that, and you know, I don't, I don't honestly know where this is going, but I get the feeling that we're never going to be allowed to travel again. I certainly won't uh, do a long haul flight, you know, a 12-hour leg on a on a on a wide-bodied jet with a mask on for the entire bloody thing. Yeah, me neither. So, you know, that that, that is neither. never going to happen. So so maybe this is their way of keeping us all in our little boxes and making sure that we don't go anywhere. Obviously, if you can afford a private jet, that will, none of these rules and restrictions will apply to you, will they? Will they? But Strangely enough, I don't have one or access to one. So there it is. Well, yes, right now we don't. No. <laughs> okay, well, that aside, I think this chapter is, is super interesting. Um, and, you know, I think there's there's uh, some messages, even though it was written 100, over 100 years ago, there are some messages that are very pertinent to society today. So let's get on with it. Yeah, sure. There's, there's a lot of different ways that we can interpret now and we can expand on this idea of, you know, we only acquire the knowledge of that which we deserve to know. And, and by the way, that doesn't mean that we are limited. We're only limited if we choose to be limited. We can deserve to know everything. That's, a, that's yeah. one of the possibilities. Most of us don't. I mean, most of us find limitation. Even, even people who seemingly have everything, they'll find, you'll find if you look deep enough that they've limited themselves in some way. Yeah, 100%. It's, um, it's, it is our, it's kind of our burden to bear and, and to unshackle ourselves with in yeah. many ways. The Spensky now says, a few sentences down, we usually do not see that all emotions and all human activity serve knowledge how do fear or love or work serve knowledge it seems to us that that by emotions we feel by work create feeling and creation seem to be something different from knowledge and this is sort of the start of where he's heading for the rest of the chapter where it's Mm. it's not about knowledge and, and we've already touched on this knowledge isn't reading a book kind of knowledge it's gathering of all sorts of experience that based on our uh, our senses and our intellect and it's and what we create and our intuition the whole that's the whole shooting match yeah so basically i mean when he says uh, when you're talking about work you know creative power work creation that we are rather inclined to think that they demand knowledge in other words that the knowledge has to come before the action and he's saying, no, the, it's the action. It's the action of creating that gives us knowledge. So we've been, we, yeah. do, we do things the wrong way around is basically what he's saying. You know, uh, in the same way, it is incomprehensible how religious emotions serve knowledge. But yet they do. And he's going to come to it. So he, he says, usually 
the emotional. I, I don't know if he says the same words in your version. He does say. You, you read it, then I'll let you know. Okay, he says usually the emotional is opposed to the intellectual. You know, and he and then he goes on to to give us this the modern terminology. We talk about the heart and the mind, where heart represents the emotional um, experience and mind, obviously, the intellectual experience. So you know that's that's the way that 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 he puts it there, and he says. You know, cold reason or intellect over against feelings, emotions and aesthetic pleasure. And from these, they separate the moral sense, the religious sense and spirituality. Are you noticing that what Ospensky is suggesting in this whole chapter, but he, it really it nicely encapsulates it in that little paragraph there, that we live in little boxes where we put labels on things and we keep them separate. And through this, we, we assume that we're going to have um, a holistic experience, but we don't because we've compartmentalized everything. So, what, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, how, how we separate things and we put things into boxes and reason or intellect over feelings, emotions and aesthetic pleasure. You know, we have separate the moral sense the religious sense and spirituality we have, you know, we have these boxes for everything and it's the interpret interpretation of the words intellect and emotion is what his spensky says which i find ironically amusing since uh, interpretation has meant that my book, version of his book is wildly different from yours <laughs> but he does say that we do split intellect and emotion as two separate things, but he's, he yeah. says that intellect is a emotional it's a form of emotion. Between intellect and emotion, there is no sharp distinction. Intellect, considered as a whole, is also emotion. But then, and this is, I think, crucial, he, un he tells us why we don't see it that way. It's the conversation of psychology. In other words, the language that psychology, which was... A science that was only just really developing as Uspensky was writing this, the early part of the 20th century. Um, mm. This is, you know, and he says conversational psychology, and he puts it in inverted commas. It is a thing. Conversational psychology, reason is contrasted with feeling, will is considered a separate and independent faculty. And moralists consider moral feeling entirely distinct from all of the above. And religionists consider spirituality separately from faith. Now, this is what psychology and the way that psychology was developed from very early on has worked. To, so that we no longer have a connection between anything intellectual, emotional, feeling based or whatever. Uh, we, we separate everything out. Psychology has created labels for the boxes to put these things in separately. By the way, I'm not knocking psychology because we have a lot of understanding from psychology, but it also has done this very negative thing for us. I'm prepared to suggest that it was done intentionally by certain people, but we won't go into that now. Well, you know, I, I look I at the outcome. Yeah. And, the, and then I look at the journey that got us to the outcome. And, you know, it's pretty obvious. So, you know, he goes on to say, you, we hear exp expressions. I don't think that you, you, we hear them 
um, so often now as reason mastered feeling will master desire what we hear is mind over matter is the much more modern phrase I mean it's not that modern but it, it has persisted much more than what Ospensky says uh, but that's it means the same thing we hear that all the time you know the force mm. of will the willpower can you know it over, soldier overcomes. on yeah and that's the well yeah you know um spirituality mastered intellectuality faith conquered reason but you know incorrect expressions of conversational psychology uh as what is how Spensky calls all of these phrases and i i agree with him you know and he does this and and this is a beautiful little thing just after it he says and we also hear sunrise and sunset which are also equally you know putting us off the track why why would he say that you know just as incorrect as are the expressions sunrise and sunset well what does that because mean? depending on well because of your perspective in the world as the sun is setting in one place it's rising in another oh of course yes the sun actually isn't moving the sun doesn't set the sun is static in relation to us as a planet the sun is static we know that the sun is moving around the center of the galaxy in some kind of ellipse but from our perspective the sun is actually static it doesn't set and it doesn't rise and we can prove that because in one part of the world as the sun is going down on the exact opposite side of the world it's rising yeah yeah he 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 throws that in, but he doesn't, you know, really explain anything about that. He, like he I could have put he, an extra bit of sentence in. I think that he does it because he think because I think he knows that it, it will stimulate people to understanding um, how easy it is for us to be fooled by words, and how that yeah. colours our perception of what's actually happening. Anyway, and it's moving on. And I I think his point too is saying that. It, there's almost a competition between these different uh, aspects of our life. So there's a competition to, you know, mind over matter, to, to conquer. Yeah. To conquer well, this is all this separation the thing. This, yeah, this yes. is the separation thing. So basically, when you consider the mind is matter and emotion as well, <laughs> it's all part of the same thing, then we can start having real knowledge. That's when we will deserve to know more, basically. Yeah. Because when you shut things down, it's like taking your five fingers and saying, uh, "Well, I've got them in the water, but uh, I, I can't, I can't um, take anything coming back from the middle finger. So if it's whatever it's feeling, yeah. I've got to ignore that. And only yeah. going to ignore, I mean, uh, but, uh, yeah. take into well, account the right. thumb. That's that's exactly so, and that, and that's what happens. I think it's I think it's quite I think it's quite important that Ispensky has. He's made us understand what he's saying by using the example of linguistic labeling. It's the labeling of things that gives that perpetuates the illusion of separation. Mm. Yes. Labeling is very important. By the way, Aspensky would have been very aware of what psychology, you know, the new this new science of psychology was doing by creating these labels. He would have been very aware of it. And it's interesting that he's used psychology um, to demonstrate his point. And, and also interesting is that if these turns of phrase and, and they just become, they just roll off the tongue, you know, mind over matter, which is, it just rolls off the tongue mm -hmm. without giving it any consideration whatsoever, 
it then it's a program, isn't it? It then becomes mm. something you don't question. That's and right. Programming. It becomes yeah, exactly right. It becomes part of what you believe without even realizing you are believing it. Well, you start believing in the source. The, the real problem is that you start believing in the source. And this is why I like, I'm saying that it's important that he's, he's used um, psychology there because at the time psychology was claiming to have the answers. It's this new massive, massively important science that was going to explain everything, the meaning of life, everything, behavior, the, the lot. And yet what it was doing was fragmenting our understanding of our experience more and more and more so that we couldn't. So, but what it is, because it's a science, people believe it without question. Uh, does, does, does this ring true in the modern world? Do, do people do that all the, all the time? Um, let's, let's have two big things that are happening, that, that are happening in the world now, um, as, as we're recording this. First of all, there is the ever present, um, debate about climate change. The climate's been changing ever since the solar system has been in existence and probably beyond that from a galactic point of view. Climate changes in recorded history all the time, long before we had an industrial revolution. It changes in ways that it's not changing now, much more dramatically. The, the winters that I used to have here in the early 60s, in the 50s before me, uh, and right up to you know, certainly the 1980s, were severe. We had different climate. There was far less pollution. There was far less this, that, and the other. Um, we had a mini ice age in the 17th century. We had a medieval warm period. Where was the man-made climate change instruments there? But people, because they've recruited scientists to tell you this, by the way, um, investigate them by all means i'm not going to i'm not going to come down one way or another but i want people to ask questions the point is people don't ask questions they just say well scientists say that and then you get this this horrific phrase the science is in well actually on climate change it isn't real climatologists in their droves signing papers and sending them to the un and saying this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong don't shut down human society What's the other thing that's happening right now? Some kind of perception of a virus and people are self-isolating. I'm going to use the phrase putting themselves under house arrest. And yes, it is as severe as that because a government has told them that scientists have said. Now, I'm not going to go into any conspiracy theory things. I'm just saying that nobody questions them. If, if questions were asked, and they listened to other scientists, you'd hear that the real um, virologists were saying, actually, this social distancing thing, there's absolutely no science behind that. What? By the way, not a little bit of science, not that there's a debate on it, that there is zero, zero evidence for that being effective to do anything in any way. But nobody questions it. Well, very few question it. Because scientists told them, so once you've actually got something that you programmed people to believe as a source of authority that you should always trust, then you're never going to question it, are you? You're never going to break free of this box. I think Aspensky has used psychology here as this new science uh, to actually, as a subtext, illustrate this idea that science is the new religion that everybody has faith in, unquestioning faith in. And, so, uh, and, and, and whether 
knowingly or unknowingly, this particular new science of psychology has served to further separate aspects of human experience even more than they were before it, it, it came in and started creating its own language for its own conversation, as Suspensky puts it. So I, I think it's important that he uses that there. Yeah, I think I think that's yeah, it's important too, and and I think it's he's almost filling in that missing piece of the jigsaw for the positivists because the positivists, the science that they have other than psychology is all about uh, the senses, the five senses, but psychology brings in the mind, so you know that they've got everything covered. You know, nothing to see here that you have to worry about. We can measure and we can uh, tell you how it all is, and none of it considers anything outside of the, the physical but they've got the mind now with psychology ah well and there's the thing and what psychology seems to have done is to put the mind at the top of the pyramid so that yes. while it will recognize um emotions and instincts and intuitions sort of intuitions it will all it will always make them subdivisions of the mind and that the mind controls them that you can use the mind to control some of these emotions and uh, certainly later on in psychology that's not necessarily the case it would have been the case in in Espensky's time more or less but this this thing of um the governing the governing factors that that mind and rationality rationality are the strong points that can teach us to control the ephemeral emotional side of their emotion is and feeling is just an expression of mind and understanding so let's let's see what more he says let's see what he says then after this he says in reality in the soul of man nothing exists save emotions and the soul life of man is either a struggle or an adjustment between different emotions uh, i'm just going to stop there because i've got it the next sentence is kind of i think more of a clincher but it's interesting that he's saying the soul of man uh, is just emotion and that his soul life you're either in line with your feelings or you're out of line with your feelings and I think you know if we're looking at your surfing analogy you're either trying to get to the shore despite whatever the wave is doing trying to, to, to just intellectualize your way through it or you're in tune with the wave you're in tune yeah. with that and you'll you'll go with the flow. I love that phrase. You'll go with the flow. The wave will take you yeah. in. The wave the wave is going in one way or another. But it, but you you know, but but it could either crash you against the rocks or it could take you gently into the sand. Which way? What are you going to do? You're going to you know. So if you allow the wave to guide you down the easy easy path, you'll end up gently on the sand, and you'll feel exhilarated for the experience of having ridden that wave. Yeah, and and the fact that he's saying that nothing exists save emotions. So he, and he has already bundled the intellect into emotions. So yeah, I, which I agree. I agree with it. Yeah, a hundred percent agree as well. But is he saying really that it's about being in tune with your life as opposed mm. to trying to uh, compartmentalize it? block it out into different different uh that's an emotion and that's a feeling and that's the intellect and that's the one i'll, I'll follow mm. so instead of trying to as he's pointed out before compartmentalize everything it is a holistic thing and it is about adjustment yeah, between the emotions I agree. totally agree 
I like he, he he quotes Spinoza, yeah. Yeah, Spinoza saw this quite clearly when he said that emotion can be mastered only by another more powerful emotion and nothing else. By the way, he's, uh, my experience is that that is absolutely correct. Um, as a, make, doing change work in hypnosis, I, I only work with emotions, emotion. I'm, there's no way that you could get somebody to rationalize their way out of a change that they've come to see you as a therapist to help them change. If it was that easy, they'd do it themselves, wouldn't they? Well, that's exactly I right. know that I shouldn't eat snacks. I know that I shouldn't eat snacks, but I just can't help it. So we find the emotional basis for eating the snack and we find, and then we will, you know, um, suggest a stronger emotion for not doing it. It's, and, and the same with everything else. We do it with phobias. We do it with everything. It's, it, we, yeah. you find the emotion behind the behavior or the, or the thought and you, you use a bigger emotional, um, input to replace it that's that's what we're, that's what i do so my experience is that spinoza um what spinoza says is is certainly in tune with my experience so i i, I won't question it i i agree with what he says and i wonder though is that more powerful emotion driven by desire and is desire I, an emotion well i'm going to say that it is because i'm going to say that desire is actually um your true purpose when when desire for something is the basis of a stronger emotion than something else that you want to replace then desire is your true purpose this is the difference between a true desire and a mere want yeah well i'm just wondering if desire is the ultimate stronger emotion like yeah uh it might be that uh um, I want to go, I don't know, I, I, I love swimming, but well, look, uh, I hate being cold and, uh, you know, I don't want to go on a cold day. My desire to swim can, is overridden by the desire not to be cold. Well, we can we can actually um, cheat um, because I, I think um, we'll find that Spensky gives great analogies in, the, in this paragraph. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me just go through, you know. He says, like, Please do. Reason, reason, will, feeling duty, faith, spirituality, mastering some other emotion can conquer only by force of the emotional element contained in them. The force, in other words, it has to be stronger, just like Spinoza says. uh, And then he says, the aesthetic who kills all desires and passions in himself kills them by the desire for salvation. It's a stronger so emotion. You've got you you have those aesthetics, you know, and especially in ancient Greek, you know, in ancient Greece, sorry, the you had these philosophers that denied themselves everything. You know, they didn't even dress at all. They they had no possessions. They would sit in this meditation, denying everything, denying every material experience. But that that doesn't mean that they've got rid of desire. They're doing that out of a desire for their own spiritual salvation. It is a desire. Mm. De- desire is the the root cause. Is what Spensky is getting at here, you know. And a, you know, a, a man renouncing all the pleasures of the world renounces them because of the delight of the sacrifice. In other words, yes. martyr syndrome or whatever, um, you know, of renunciation. A soldier dying at his post through his sense of duty or habit of obedience, and I love that. A soldier dying at his post through his sense of duty 
and he throws this in, or habit of obedience. In and that words, is not in my book. He's added that since. Yeah, he does so because the emotion of devotion or faithfulness is more powerful in him than all other things. We could we could put our tinfoil hats on and start discussing this idea of uh, you will die at your post because of your habit of obedience. I mean, obviously, I've I've highlighted it because habit is the thing that I have to change the most uh, as as a hypnotherapist and as a hypnotist. It's people's habits that I change. Nothing nothing concrete. It's a habit that they've developed a behavioral habit by behavioral i'm even meaning thoughts thought is a behavior i see a spider and my thought immediately goes to the fact that it'll kill me and i hate it um you know it's a habit every time you see a spider you'll react in that way with a thought some th some reactions are physical i.e um i've been given an order to defend this post to my last breath and my last bullet so and, and I've been programmed to obey so much in my training as a soldier that I'm not even going to question that. I'm staying here and I'm fighting and fighting and fighting until I either win or they kill me. And that's what Whereas Spensky the deserter is talking about. Will go, blow this! I'm not doing that. Yeah, and and, and yet off. and yet and yet we as a society are programmed then to hate the deserter and to revere those who died for our country. Instead of looking at the deserter and saying, crikey, if everybody did that, we wouldn't have to have wars at all. That's right. On both sides. If, if both yeah, sides that's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, we, ha we have to do away with this idea of both sides. Are we not talking about the illusion of separation? Mm. What, what, do na what do national borders do for us other than that? When you look at photographs of the world from space, um, are there any borders visible? Not really, are there? No. That would be a no, by the way. No, there aren't. Well, the Great Wall of China might show up from space. <laughs> That's, it does show up from space, but it's not a border, is it? It's, it's a man-made object. The, the natural world doesn't have any borders. No, no. you're right. You're right. So and, anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. These, these are great little analogies that, that he does. A man whose moral sense prompts him to overcome passion in himself does so because the moral sense, that is to say the emotion, is more powerful than all his other feelings and other emotions. And for the things that you do as a hypnotist, people mm -hmm. come to you, well, I know that I have, when I've got, I know that the overwhelming emotion, say, to uh, eat a bowl of ice cream after dinner every night mm -hmm. is stronger than my desire to be nice and slim, and I don't want mm -hmm. that. I know intellectually I want it to be the other way around, so I have to change that overwhelming that the overpowering uh, emotion. I'll tell you what I do. I change the power of the two emotions. So the emotion that you have that makes you want to eat the ice cream and the emotion that you have that, that, that makes you wish that when you looked in the mirror, you looked differently. At the moment, you know, the moment you come to me, the emotion um, of the pleasure that you get from the ice cream and the comfort or whatever whatever other emotion is behind the, the eating of the ice cream, that is much stronger than the emotion that you get from thinking of how you'll look in the mirror and, and when you walk past a shop window and you glance at yourself. That one's a strong. All I have to do is diminish the power of the, the, the pleasure 
of eating the ice cream and I don't ever do that by making ice cream taste terrible or this that the other because that won't yeah. last you will you would you would get beyond that I I use a different I use different techniques to diminish the power of that emotion and build the power of the emotion of the feeling that you'll get of satisfaction and and, and self-respect and all the other things that you'll get from achieving your ideal personal look and the ideal shape and, and size and whatever you're going to be and i make that the more dominant emotion this is this is what my work involves yep and this is exactly what Spensky is saying so so emotion emotions themselves they're not there isn't one that's dominant and another is um not so strong that has to be like that forever and they can change and they're mm. different within within each each of us we, you know we have different different emotions at different strengths this is why we're all all unique <laughs> Which of course perpetuates the, the the illusion of separation, but 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 you know, in, in all truth, that that you know we do have um, emotions that can be changed. The strength of and which that power can be changed. is is based really the power of that emotion is based in how we personalise that emotion to ourselves. Yeah, that's that's right. You know, and then that's that's the experience. That's the knowledge we're gaining now what other experiences we can have and what other knowledge we can gain from our, our human experience will be what we deserve based on on what we've done to ourselves with other experiences. <laughs> yeah, with the other experiences. Yeah. So yeah. Suspensky then goes on to say, in substance, all this is perfectly clear and simple, but it has become confused and confusing simply because men, calling different degrees of one and the same thing by diverse names, uh, began to see fundamental differences when there were diff then when there were only differences in degree. So yeah, so basically we are seeing the the differences as fundamental. In other words, um, this is so different from that. Instead of saying, "Oh, that's just a, a slightly different expression," they're the same thing. But so you, um, we've we've used this analogy so many times in these podcasts. The ocean. We see a cold part of the ocean as fundamentally different from a warm part. If we did that, if we compartmentalized it, the ocean in that way, we wouldn't see an entire ocean, would we? <laughs> We'd see little mm. boxes of, of, of things that consist of ocean material, but are not the same. And we, we do it all the yeah. time. That's the diff you know, a fundamental, we're seeing fundamental differences where actually it's just a, a difference in shade. Um, if you look at a rainbow, you will not see fundamental lines of changing colour. They will blur into each other. Yeah. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. You will not see a little black line demarking <laughs> one of those colours ends and another begins. If you look at a rainbow, you'll see that they blend into each other. So holistically, you see a rainbow. You don't see seven separate colours. Exactly right. Yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, it is by degrees. Uh, Mm. And we bucket things. We tend to say love is love, hate is hate. Mm. But they're, they're just emotions. Um, yep. And you can We're use them both this. for, yeah, both for one same, yeah, let's let's get into that. So uh, We're talking will about will. Is the, yeah, will is the resultant of desires. We call that man strong-willed in whom the will proceeds on definite lines without turning aside and we call the man weak-willed, in whom the line of the will takes a zigzag course, 
turning aside here and there under the influence of an every new desire. But this does not mean that will and desire are something opposite, quite the reverse. They are one and the same because the will is composed of desires. It's almost like what we were saying before, that the desire is that stronger emotion. It doesn't matter what it is. No, and by the way, and it is allowed to change. Now, where the apparently strong-willed man is actually weaker than the apparently weak-willed man is where the strong-willed man, the perceived strong-willed man, fixes on an end goal. And even when the road to get to that goal that he's taking makes him miserable and is painful and he doesn't want to take the steps but he's fixed on the goal he said he's going to do it he's going to do it that makes him weak because the strength is that when you realize that yes i've decided that that's my goal right over there and on the journey something else comes into your awareness and says "Ooh, i'd like to experience that well you know what i'm going to take a turn to the left here i'm going to swerve off to the left and i'm going to have a look at that i'm going to experience that and see what it is I'm still technically going in vaguely the direction towards my goal, but wow, along the way, there's so many things that I want to experience. That's stronger because that's yeah. going with the flow. That's, that's still going to get to the goal, but having wildly differing experiences on the way and appreciating all the experiences on the way. This means that you, uh, the goal isn't everything. The journey is as important as the goal. And that means that you are allowing yourself to feel that connectivity with other things that are coming into your sphere of awareness that interest you. If you if something tells you that looks interesting, where's that coming from? What is it that's telling you? This is whether you are consciously aware of it or not. This is the impetus from the great being that, like, that, that we're all connected to that's behind us suggesting that oh your your vibration of energy would like that it would resonate with that go have a look at it see what you think yeah and, I, and also when the strong-willed person is totally inflexible then it, it's like when you're trying to um, say manifest a lottery win I'm going to win that lottery I'm going to win that lottery well so is everybody else on the planet is put a ticket in you know and there's only one winner but it, yeah, I didn't it, win it last night so it's not me yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm the same. But uh, but I think the thing is the the stronger willed person is that you know that they, their goal is to whatever it is that that lottery would buy them. They're focused on that goal, and so it might be the lottery. So they buy a ticket just in case. But they're flexible enough to know that it mightn't be the lottery. So I'm still going to if I'm going to get that new car with the lottery win, for example, I'm going to uh, start doing something else that will. To help me get that car and so they're flexible to have whatever experience it is without it having to be a certain experience but at the end okay. it'll be having that car well even even at a simpler level than that which is a good analogy by the way that is very 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 good there is something else though that you can consider what if the losing lottery ticket has still served a purpose in um, actually fulfilling a desire what if the desire is hope? What yeah. if that desire is hope? Buying the ticket allows you to hope for freedom. You can look at your circumstances and say, God, things are so tough for me. I wish I could have this, 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 and this. 
and you look at your circumstances and think, well, God, to get a better job, I'd have to go to university and I'm 40 uh, or whatever, you know, all things that seem quite impossible. But if you were to win the lottery, you wouldn't need to go through what you feel to be the processes to get to your your goal, to get to have the life and the feelings that you want to have, the freedom from worry and debt. Buying the lottery ticket, whether it, whether you win or lose, from the moment you buy it to the moment the numbers are drawn, it's fulfilled a desire that you at least now have a hope. The lottery ticket gives you hope. If it wasn't for the lottery, you'd have no hope. You'd be sitting there thinking, this is it. This is all I'm ever going to be. So a lot, buying a lottery ticket, whether it wins or loses, does serve a desire to feel like there is a chance, like that there is hope, that maybe it will be. Yeah. So, you know, again, we, we, we can, we can like, we can pull out desire. It's, there isn't just one desire being fulfilled when we take a course of action. Yeah. And, and also with that is when you buy the lottery ticket, you start to dream. What would I do with the money when I won? Well, I'd buy a house by the sea. And then you think, well, maybe I don't really, if I had the money, would I buy a house by the sea? I've always thought I wanted a house by the sea, but maybe I don't. Maybe I, well, I want to travel instead or whatever. But Well, in, in, the, in, the, analogy, in the analogy I just give, you wouldn't even start dreaming necessarily of that. You're literally only dreaming of being free from worry, of, of just being able to relax and be happy. Yeah, uh, actually, that is the very root of it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and so for some people, you buy the ticket and it's it's the hope that you can be free of that. You know, They don't even worry about having a boat in the yacht, what they're going to do. Their big concern is right now, I'm living hand to mouth. And when I win the lottery, should my ticket come up, I won't be hand to mouth anymore. I'll just, I'll be able to pay the, the power bills. I'll be able to pay the council tax, my rent or my mortgage, or I'll mm. feed, I'll be able to feed the kids. I'll be able to, you know, the, the kids, the kids will be happy and they'll be safe. It, it's just, you don't even need, you don't even have to like list these things in your mind. It's that feeling. Yeah. I've now got hope. So, so, you know, it does have, there are other things that, I mean, we've used the lottery ticket there as an example, but there are other things where there are various layers of achievement, you know, that what mm. something is doing for us. Um, the person that's um, considered to be strong willed that only fixes on the final outcome, misses all of those lovely little goals that get fulfilled along the way. Yeah, so does that make them strong? I'm going to suggest not. No. How many people work so hard and focus so hard that they make themselves physically and mentally ill and sometimes even die through the process? I don't see that as, I don't see that as strength. Bruce Lee talks about bending like a reed in the wind. It's, a, it's, a, it's another Taoist um, philosophy as well that, that he brought into his um, Kung Fu teachings and his philosophies. And there's strength in that. I mean, Bruce Lee, do we consider Bruce Lee to have been strong? I don't well, know. I, do. I, don't think, I, I don't think many people would say he was weak. He, I, you, you'd have to put a, fa a very fancy and convoluted argument together, wouldn't you, to suggest it? You but, would. Uh, you, would. you know, I don't know. So, yeah, there, yeah. there, there we are.
And then and the saying that the weak-willed person in whom the line of the will takes a zigzag course, I, I wouldn't say that's weak-willed. I would, what I would say is weak-willed is if they kept changing their goal because they didn't, they, they didn't feel they could achieve it, like they just kept giving up, basically. The weak-willed bit is the giving up, and that's why you zigzag. But if you're zigzagging because you're flexible and you're going with the flow, that's another story, isn't it? Yeah, but remember, he is using zigzag. He's not saying swerve off and never come back. It's just taking, instead of taking a straight line, you are still heading for the target. Mm, that's right. As long as it doesn't matter if you're zigzagging, as long as you, you, you're not giving up, you're getting to where you're going. It doesn't matter what course. That's, that, that's why I wouldn't say they're weak-willed. Have you ever taken an interest in a yacht race like the America's Cup? As an Australian, you might have done because... Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> do you, 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 do, you do notice, don't you, that the yacht cannot be strong-willed and go directly to the target because if the wind's, <laughs> coming, if the wind, if the wind's <laughs> coming the other way, they have to tack. And what is a, what is yes. a tack? It's a zigzag. They have to zigzag their mm. way um, from right. one waypoint to another. And yet, yeah. and yet nobody looks at the, the crew of the yacht and the yacht itself as being weak-willed. Yeah, and that's what yeah. I think Spensky's saying is that, that we call people yeah. that take this you know, undirect course being weak-willed and the people are stoic and strong-willed, but that's not the point. It's about yeah. the, you know, the desire um, that's driving it. Uh, it is composed of many, many different wills. Um, oh, yeah. And, and then he goes on to say, Spensky goes on to say, reason cannot conquer feeling because feeling can be conquered only by feeling. Reason now, can only give... Stop, let's just stop there. Can I just stop there? When he says that, let's just get back to what Spinoza said. Emotion can only be conquered by emotion. And that, that is yes. what he's saying there. So we should just, we should just say he's not, he's not moved off. He's not talking about anything else. He is talking about emotion, no. conquering emotion. So yeah. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I thought he was saying as well. That yeah. He's, he's reiterating. Uh, he further goes on to say, reason can only give thoughts and pictures, evoke feelings, which will conquer the feeling of a given moment. So again, I think he's saying the stronger. Yeah, that is interesting, isn't it? So, you know, mm. what he's suggesting is that reason is a tool. Reason yes. provokes emotion, and then it's emotion that is the guiding instrument. Reason itself is never a root cause. So without, 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 emotion, we, without emotion, we take no action, in other words. Yes. So the pictures and images that, that reason gives us prompts us to feel something that stirs us into action in a certain way. Yeah, yeah, exactly so. So to, to draw on the analogy before, if I eat that bowl of ice cream, if I reason it to say, oh, that'll make me feel fantastic, whatever I'm eating the ice cream for, that will override. But if the feeling comes in that says, yes, and then when I try and put those jeans on, I'll look, uh, you know, not so good as if I don't eat the bowl of ice cream. Well, the mm. feelings that come from that... If they override, they're the conqueror. They're the, they're the conquering, conquering at the moment. Reason will trigger those feelings. Yeah, they conquer the feeling of the given moment and you shut the freezer door and you leave the ice cream where it is and you yes. wander off and do something else. And yes, and next time I come to find it, young Josh has found it and eaten and it's all gone and don't have a problem anymore. <laughs> well, that's it. That's solved, that's solved the problem, hasn't it, for you? That has. So, so uh, he... Spensky continues, spirituality is not opposed to intellectuality or emotionality. Now, that's interesting that he's, he's saying intellectuality 
um, or emotion uh, and emotionality are seemingly different to spirituality. So he's saying that's mm-hmm. how society sees sees the three things as separate. Yep. Uh, it is their higher flight. And in my book, he's got that in capitals. It is only yeah, he has, it, he has it in flight. mind. Yeah. In other words, you know how we talk about trees and how we see individual trees and what we should see is that each individual tree, not as individual, but as an expression of the whole, you know, the species yes. of tree or the, the whole animal mm-hmm. kingdom. What this is saying is that instead of seeing separately intellect and emotion, what we should see them is expressions of spirituality, the bigger thing. Yeah. Yeah. Spirituality is the species and intellectuality and emotionality are just um, expressions within that species. And as Bensky earlier said that uh, intellectuality is just, uh, an emotion but higher than a lot of the others so they kind of maybe that's the, the yeah, yeah but they're still part of the same thing they're still part they of are. the one whole yeah. and he's saying that they are aspects of spirit yeah. yeah they are the component parts of spirituality let's look at it yes. like that so intellect has no limits only the human Euclidean mind is limited mm-hmm. so the mind devoid of emotions he, in mind, he, he actually qualifies that as well. He says, the Euclidean oh, mind, meaning the mind devoid of, emo- devoid of emotions. Euclidean mind is devoid of emotions. It is all fact. Fact, yep. fact, fact. And Spensky's saying that intellect is not the brain, because the brain is the thing that spits out fact, 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 learns something, spits it out mm-hmm. as a fact. The intellect is... is different to that and we are binding the intellect up into uh the brain mechanism okay by doing the euclidean yeah the euclidean mind yep i agree so to continue but what is the intellect intellect is the active aspect aspect of any given and i'll put in here psychic life i'm guessing that's what your book says no it says given being of any given being. Okay. I'll, I'll read what he says. He, first of all, he's not talking about intellect. He's talking about reason, which is the conscious mind. This is the bit that, you know, the, the conscious mind can handle seven, give or take one or two um, pieces of information at any one time. It's analytic, it's logical, and it's processing. So he's used the word reason. So what is reason? It is, he says it's the inner aspect of any given being. In the Earth's animal kingdom, in all animals lower than man, we see passive reason, but with the appearance of concepts, it becomes active, and part of it begins to work as intellect. He says, reason works as intellect in its active form. So what we need to do is uh, discuss what does he mean by active and passive reason in this sense. He, in my text, he doesn't have that. He says the intellect is present in the animal, only in the embryonic state, as an emotion of curiosity. Yeah, well, that, he's got the intellect is present and the animal only in an embryonic state as an emotion of curiosity, a pleasure of knowing. In other words, this is why cats are curious and this is why a dog will sniff at the sniff at everything when you take it for a walk. I mean, it, we use that as the analogy, but it's not got an it's not got an aim in mind. It doesn't analyze anything particularly. Um, it just it just acts on pure instinct. 
is what he's mm. is what we're seeing, and enjoys knowing, and then moves on to the next piece of knowing. It's zigzagging wildly with <laughs> with not necessarily an end goal in sight. So active and passive. So he's, I think he's basically saying in animals they've That's got a passive a passive, mm. passive reasoning. So they're just yeah, experiencing without giving it yeah. any thought. And they're completely reactive. They're not proactive as a rule. Mm. That's what that's what he's suggesting to use modern mm. words and phrases, proactive and reactive. So, but it is this emotion of curiosity. Yeah. So when we're being active, we are going beyond curiosity and making some sort of analysis, perhaps. Yeah, and what we're saying is that the bits of knowledge that we've acquired, we can put X together with Y to make Z. And Z is something that will be advantageous to us, so we'll do it. This this is the, whether it's the savage creating an axe head or whether it's somebody, uh, an architect designing a cathedral. It, either way, it's this, this ability to use take the knowledge that we acquire from curiosity and put bits of it together to give ourselves an experience that's greater than the sum of its parts. That, that that lifts mm. up or raises up what we feel um, it raises up our experience. In other words, it gives us um, more pleasurable emotional states in the doing of it and the achieving of it. Animals don't have that experience, so so he claims. Yeah, and what does that all? What do, where does that bring us? That that's my question. And and so what is um, well, what it's, we're it's about? well, we're talking about. Um, once we stimulate what he calls the higher emotions, there is at least a chance of us connecting with them and understanding them. And if we understand them and connect with them, then we can use them. In other words, we can master them. And the, we are going to come on to that. Without being the ascensionist, without being the vibration raiser, without being iconoclastic, without being nihilistic, we can, we can actually master our emotions Without without actually putting them in a box like the aesthetic and and just sitting there saying, I have no emotions. We don't have to become robotic. In other words, mm. we can still we can still delight in our emotions while not letting them take over our experience. If I feel unhappy one day, I can replace that unhappiness with a much more powerful happy emotion. This is what mastery of emotions allows us to do. We can have experiences that we could consider negative or positive without them ruining our lives because we know we can change it. But, you know, this is what we're coming on. Whereas he says the yeah. intellect is, is cold. Once we fuse the intellect with um, emotion, you know, what he calls the higher emotions, then the intellect is no longer cold. It works in tandem with the emotions to enhance our experience. And this is what he's suggesting makes us a higher form of life than the animals who are passive. Because this is this is what allows us to become active. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe you should read the next bit because I've got a I've got the Why? consciousness all the way through it. Well, well, I've, okay. well, well I've got I've got it in the first bit, but he just says in man, the growth of consciousness consists in the growth of the intellect and the accompanying growth of the higher emotions, aesthetic, religious and moral, which according to the measures of their growth become more and more intellectualized. 
while simultaneously mm. with this, the intellect is assimilating emotionality and ceasing to be cold. In other words, they they they're each drawing off the off off each other. Intellectualized emotion is emotion that we can then use and utilize. It's not something that just happens to us. We can generate it. We can choose then. If we know that um, you know riding a bike gives us the emotion of joy, then yeah. we can intellectualize. Uh, how to uh, get more out of our bike. Um, we can okay. plan a trip on our on our bike around uh, around France or something like that. Sure. Is this what basically we're saying? Basically, we're yeah. Basically, we choose the emotion. We use the intellect um, to achieve that emotional state. Yeah. To work a plan out that incorporates that activity to bring that more of that emotion. So it stops it from being just a cold plan. We, we, the difference is you'd know that you could you'd know that it is possible to go around France and you can look at a flat two-dimensional map and you can say yeah there 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 um, but once um, the intellect and the emotion are fired up together that makes you buy a ticket that makes you look at where you're going to stay along the road how you're going to get across to France with your bike and mm. so on it it, put, it but the emotion feeds the intellect to go even further in, in making this your life experience. And the more the intellect does that, the more the emotion feels fired up, you know, and, and you know, the, the happier yeah. you feel. So they're yeah. working together. They're, they are no longer separate mm. at all. Everything that the intellect does in furtherance of the plan, get, it, it stimulates the uh, and amplifies the emotional experience. The more the emotional experience is amplified, the more the intellect says, yeah, let's have more of this. And, and then and then brings the plan in even closer into action. And Spensky further goes on with that. It's that that fired up intellect thinking, how am I going to do this? Is the uh, it's like the um, the soil is to a tree. It's like the soil to intuition. So intuition is a, 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 how am I going to do that? Is sending out that that real desire to achieve something that maybe you can't work out intellectually and then you get a flash of inspiration, which is your intuition coming in. But you've grown, you've put that, that foundation down. It's like the soil for that seed to to nourish and, and grow into an even bigger, better idea. And I think yep. Mr. Spensky says, intuition grows in the soil of the intellect and of the higher emotions, but it is not created by them. A tree grows in the earth, but it is not created by the earth. So yep. it's... It's almost like getting that that whole synergy going with you know your emotions and your intellect, and then that brings in that kind of bridges into your your intuition, and, and they all uh, have a have an interaction that that feeds one feeds the other, and vice versa. Mm, I'm with that. I think that's very. Uh, I think I think that's a very nice way of looking at things because they're not separate. It makes them no, they're all, not. It's it's very synergistic. So, Pete, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you so much for this week, and I look forward to continuing our conversation next week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too because there's still there's still things. I mean, there's very great structure to this chapter, and he builds and builds and builds and comes to some, I think, wonderful conclusions as we go through. So, I'm looking forward to it too. Yeah, me too. And thanks again, everyone, for listening. <laughs>